Blog Talk Radio. Also, 
The Women of Color Beyond Faith Anthology, the deadline has been extended to October 30th of this year, and I post the links on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, as well as in a chat room. So, guys, you know, we're asking for you to submit an abstract 500 words or less, and this will be in a compilation, an anthology um, that we're putting together, Dr. Hutchison and myself. But go to the link. Um, send Dr. Hutchison an email. She would absolutely love to hear from you guys, definitely. And, you know, um, I'm looking forward to reading your submissions as well. And I'm sure you guys, you know, um, are looking forward to it. So, again, it's been interesting the past couple of weeks. Last weekend, like I said, we played the repeat of Why Don't White Crime I was out of town. I was actually in D.C., Baltimore, Maryland area. I was in the DMV area, and I actually had a really good time. I had a chance to relax a little bit and kind of clear my mind and get out and had a little bit of fun. So it was a little mini vacation, if you will. But, you know, again, you know, got some work done. Um, got actually quite a bit of work done. Um, while I was there um, on some projects, some upcoming projects. So stay tuned for that. This is going to be an exciting rest of the year, and next year is going to be even more exciting. We have a lot of plans in the works, and, you know, you guys, you're going to be very pleased. So I just wanted to tell you guys about that. And today we're going to talk about the politics of the God concept, talking more along the lines of the political functions of the God concept, and this is actually part one. I think I'm going to cut this show into, like, maybe three parts. Yeah, three parts. And we're going to do things a little bit differently today. So those of you that can come into the chat room or that can call in, I'm asking that you do so because I would like for this conversation to actually be a little bit more interactive. So the guest call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. Press 1. If you would like to speak with me, you can also Skype into the show, or, again, you can go into the chat room and join us in there. Um, you got people slowly filtering in. But I definitely want you guys to be a part of the show today. Um, you got some questions coming up, and I think this is going to be very informative, and I definitely want it to be interactive. But before we go into the topic at hand, um, other upcoming shows will be, again, the extension of our Bible series. I'm going to be talking about the story of Exodus and black Christianity in America. And actually, there's a part of this series that I'm doing now that kind of hits on that. And I think I'm going to skip it from this series and then just touch on it again when we pick back up the Bible series. So I'm just letting you know these, this is connected. After that, the show will be Body Image Policing. Well, basically, the name of the show will be Shame, Shame, Shame. But with this political functions of the God concept or politics of the God concept, this is going to be more than likely a three-parter, maybe a four-parter. just really depends. Um, so basically, I just want to let you guys know what's happening with that there. We're going to talk about a lot of things. I put up a few memes um, yesterday, and I'm going to talk about a little bit more about some of the uh, quotes that came out from that. But before we do that, I actually want to talk about a couple of stories that were in the news. Um, one story that actually disturbed me 
was the story about the young lady, the little girl, Tiana Parker, who was sent home from school, and her parents switched her from the charter school she was attending to another school, but they sent her home because she had dreads. And apparently dreadlocks, braids, afros, um, they are considered fattish styles and considered distracting. And I saw the video, and this little girl cried her eyes out. And, you know, I, I dropped a few tears for her as well because she should not have been made to feel as though she had done something wrong. You know, her, her father made sure that her hair was always presentable, that, her, you know, she was presentable. And, you know, again, these different schools making these arbitrary rules and, you know, interestingly enough, you know, this is a predominantly black school. So if they don't like afros or the mohawks or the dreads or braids, then what are those kids supposed to do to their hair? I mean, I know there are other styles, trust me, I, I know that. But, again, you know, shouldn't these children, because children are people too, shouldn't they have some agency over their bodies, um, over their hair, um, there was a university, um, you know, HBCU, that out basically uh, banned dreads as well, stating that people that wore dreads um, would not be accepted in a corporate environment, and it was a business school, so they wanted to make sure that, you know, I think this was the graduate level at that, they were telling them that, you know, they had to dress a certain way, they couldn't have the dreads or what have you, because basically they would not be able to garner employment in corporate America. And that, I know for a fact, is not true. Um, I've worked several corporate jobs, and there are people there with dreads. Now, they want them to be nice and neat and clean, but you can get a corporate job with dreads and an afro and braids. So, you know, that's a fallacy. So, again, this is just happening across the board. I'm sure there are other stories that have not been reported, or they have been reported, and I just haven't come across it. So, again, you know, found that interesting this week. Another story I found quite interesting was a church in North Carolina, um, a predominantly black church in North Carolina, basically sent an email to their willing workers, which are church volunteers, if you will, asking that only white people greet worshipers at church services. And basically it said that the church leaders anticipated an increase you know, of visitors in the coming weeks and that first impressions matter and the church wants the best of the best on the front doors. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. You know, it's so ingrained, so indoctrinated in some of us that, you know, it kind of ties in with what we're going to be talking about today, but I thought it was outrageous. I thought it was outrageous, and the church apologized after this became public because one of the members was outraged by what had transpired, and they had every right to be outraged by that. So, you know, regardless, you know, um, there are just some institutional um, 
<laughs> residuals that we definitely need to address and I'm not I, I'm not even sure if the pastor of that church realized um what she was perpetuating when she did that, but I'm sure she realizes it now because there was a public outrage over that and that crossed all, you know, ethnic and ethnic lines and nationalities. So anyway, um another story that I saw that I found somewhat disturbing this was about the race in New York. And basically, um, Bloomberg, Mayor Bloomberg, decided not to um, run again. So basically, it's an open race. And what's happening is, you know, the Democratic front runner, Bill de Blasio, and he's running, and again, he's the front runner. And Mayor Bloomberg accused him of having a racist campaign, right? And, you know, what's interesting about that is de Blasio is married to a black woman with two multiracial children. And, you know, the statement that Bloomberg gave was, well, no, no, no. I mean, he's making an appeal using his family to gain support. I think it's pretty obvious to anybody, to anyone watching what he's doing. And he says, I do not think he himself is racist. It's comparable to me pointing out that I'm Jewish Jewish, and attracting the Jewish vote. You tailor messages to your audiences and address issues you think your audience cares about. However, you know, from what I've been able to understand and what I've read is basically de Blasio, he's not, you know, focusing on race relations and race issues per se. He's basically talking about, you know, some of the issues that are happening in, happening in New York. He's against stop and frisk. He's against um, basically some of the issues that affect communities of color. And so he's bringing these issues out. He's railing against them. And basically, you know, when you have people in power that want to maintain a status quo, they do not like when you come in and you start pointing out, you know, what's happening and, you know, basically, you know, the discontent and the disparities in the public policies. So de Blasio is basically running on public policy, if you will. He's not running on race, and I just find the whole thing quite interesting. So I just wanted to point those stories out. I also posted a story um, that happened in New York as well about how there are some people, in in particular elderly people, older people who have basically paid their homes off, and they're having their homes snatched because of tax liens. So with the one story that we posted today, it talked about how this one gentleman had paid his home off. He paid cash for it, actually. And he had a $134 tax lien on his home, and he didn't pay the tax bill. And so what happens is when you owe taxes or owe money, they sell that tax lien in basically auctions. And basically you have about two years to pay it off, and whoever purchases the tax lien, they can charge interest plus administrative fees. And if you do not pay it off, then they can evict you from your home, take possession of it, resell it, what have you. And that's what's been happening. And this was an older gentleman, and it was $134. Now, these are some of the issues that I've been trying to bring to the forefront as far as us helping people in the community. I mean, if we had some type of cooperative or some type of collective, we could help 
people like this. $134. And it was close to $200,000 home in New York, probably prime property that's being gentrified, if you will. But, you know, again, you know, stories like this really upset me. And just wanted to bring it to the forefront, wanted to give you all a chance to read it for yourself. Um, it's important that, um, you know, we get out here and we start helping people. And, yes, this is a live show, Travis. And basically we're moving on and we're doing what we need to do. Uh, so, oh, here's Travis with me now. Travis, are you there? Yes, I am, Kim. Good morning. Okay. Good morning, Travis. Good morning. And, you know, I was just talking about those few stories, and I was going to move into, you know, the topic. But did you have something to say about the stories that I mentioned earlier? Well, I only heard the last one about the the land grab thing. And, um, you know, I, I, I... I got to look at it like it's 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 a lot of all of our fault. You know, it's like um, when the Civil Rights Act passed and when the Voting Rights Act passed, it's like people thought we had won something. They didn't know right. that the empire was going to strike back, and the strike back was to crush the middle class and mm-hmm. take your house. <laughs> take your house. You know, ironically, a lot of people think that we're better off, and in some ways, you know, communities of color are better off, but in other ways, not so much, because a lot of the wealth that we have built up in the communities of color, it has been snatched. It has been taken away. In all actuality, if you go back and you go out and you look at the statistics as far as, you know, wealth in communities of color, we have gone back to the 50s, if you will. And so people need to understand what's happening here about the policies that have been put in place as well as the deregulation. I mean, there are a number of different factors. It's not a simple solution. It's not a simple answer to this question, but we want you to research it because, you know, in some ways, yeah, some things are better, but in other ways, no, it's much worse than, you know, um, it once was. So, you know, we just want to bring that to your attention because there are a lot of people out here hurting. Yeah, you know, like, basically, the the bad guys are patient, okay? And and they figured out that it only takes about a 20-year flip to get things back the way they wanted to. So, I mean, mean, and I'm serious. When you really look at this, think about this. We went from the 70s and 80s with, uh, like, just with what um, black people's representation on television was, right? From, (laughs) um, right? So we went from... Sanford and Son to the Cosby Show, and then we go to where either the only shows on TV have uh, Tracy Morgan as the only black person, or they're made by Tyler Perry. Woo, that's rough. Man, that's rough. <laughs> Man, that's yeah, rough. And then you look at the movies, personally... and the movies, you talk about, uh, you mm-hmm. say go back to the 50s, it's the empire struck us back to the 50s, because now look at the movies. Slave this, help that, blind over here, <laughs> and the butler. <laughs> right. They, got the, so they got the butler, Kim, they got the butler with Mariah Carey as a field Negro. You know that, right? 
Well, you know, you know right. it's the whole thing. Yeah, it, it's not right. It's not. But you know, again, we have to start, you know, implementing. And that's one of the good things about the crowdfunding, and especially with this community here. You know, the secular community that we have, and we have a lot of people in this community that are very talented, extremely talented. And so we need to cultivate that. We need to cultivate the talent that we have in our community, encourage them, support them, motivate them, you know. And the thing is, is that, you know, we, some of us have the means that we can finance it, not, you know, and so we have to work together. That's basically what it boils down to. And, you know, there are projects that many of us are working on that we're trying to kind of pull this together and galvanize some support and some momentum behind this so that we can move forward. So trust me, like I said, guys, it's coming. It's on its way. I believe that you all are going to be delightfully pleased with what's being implemented behind the scenes and what we're trying to do. So we need your support. So I'm just letting you guys know that, and, you know, more details are forthcoming. And, again, our call-in number is 310-982-4273. And, again, that's 310 310- Nine eight two four two seven three, and our topic today is politics of the God concept, more along the lines of the political functions of the God and spiritual concept here. And so, basically, um, I posed a few questions for you guys um, the last time I did a show a couple of weeks ago, and basically, I said, "Is atheism an act of resistance to the political and power structure?" Second question, is the God concept the needed intellectual and political point of departure for grounding an oppressive sociopolitical system? And I gave you all a reference point, African-American Atheists and Political Liberation, a Study of the Sociocultural Dynamics of Faith by Michael Lackey. Now, what I will tell you guys, between Moral Combat, Godless Americana, and this book here, you will be liberated and they will give you life. These books, all three of these are excellent. Um, Moral Combat, read that before Godless Americana. Both of those were written by Dr. Hutchinson. And then you have this book here by Michael Lackey. And I'm telling you guys, you know, um, as a matter of fact, you all, somebody, I have a copy of Godless Americana that I will give away as well as, you know, a T-shirt from Compass 120. That's Doc Martin down there in Atlanta. So, you know, if you inbox me and tell me that you need a copy of Godless Americana, as well as the T-shirt, I'll be happy to package it off and send it to you next week. So just hit me up. But, again, you know, that's right. About that book can be yours. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. That's right. That's right. I couldn't help it, kid. <laughs> oh, that's all right. But, you know, Godless God, Americana no. can be yours. Just inbox him. <laughs> just inbox I would have inboxed if I was going to read the... it. <laughs> yeah, <I> guess... <laughs> you know. yeah, exactly. Inbox me for the book if you're going to read it, not just because you want a book. Okay? <laughs> because just I because you want to win something. And... Exactly. Right, 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 right. Yeah, because I may inbox you back asking you what you think of it. So how about that? You know, but you're right. You start... need to inbox them a quiz. It's going to be a quiz. <laughs> Post it on the web and see how you did. And you can pass the book along. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I'm going to give you guys a quote by Jay Saunders Redding. And I just got into this guy this year, but he's phenomenal. And this is from his book on um, being Negro in America. 
And it goes simply this way. Quote, I simply rejected religion. I rejected God, not my instinct, but my deepest feelings revolted compulsively, not because I was, I, a sort of neutral human stuff reacting directly to experience, but because I was a Negro. And basically, you know, the question is, is African-American atheism a cause for hope? Will our shedding of God concept liberate communities of color? That's basically what I'm asking you today. You know, will it liberate us? I don't know will about liberating the community, Kim. I don't know about liberating the community, but I, I, I think that it can show individuals that they are not alone. When you're right. black and free-thinking and black and... Uh, at the very least, saying, well, I know this book ain't right. And so right. until I find the right one, I'm going to stand over here as a, you know, as a not-guesser. You know, I'm going um, <laughs> to... That's how I really thought about myself right. for a while, as a not-guesser. I don't want any label on me uh, uh, that someone can say, you're just like such and such. Because you know, I'm, not, I'm not like anyone. You know, I'm me, and um, and I think that all I can do is to help our community. Is just like one person at a time, and and you know, and uh, and to say, look, if the church was really going to help the black community, it would have done it already. There's a church on every 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 other corner. There's a church, and if it really right. was the the catalyst in making the change. Um, uh-huh. It would have completed its task and not let Martin die, and um, and then go off into a uh, an Amway um, way. You know what I mean? If they were really following Martin, if they really um, thought what he was saying was right, then they wouldn't have switched over to this Amway uh, uh, prosperity ser- sermon. They would have been right. more like Martin and gave their churches up and not have a, uh, not have um, not have that whatever that thing is that makes them have to pass around a collection plate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There has right, to be a better right, right. way. That, that's that. the reason why you know it's political because again you know going back. To that, you know, I have to tie it into the politics of it. Going back to faith-based initiatives, and this was started under George Bush. And uh-huh. basically, what happens is they give money to faith-based churches or faith-based institutions, if you will, and they give them money for little grants, these programs here, there, and the other. And they're not monitored or audited to make sure that the money has gone to the appropriate place that they're fulfilling their, you know, um, their obligations, if you will. And so there's a lot of politics behind it. So that's the reason why we're talking about the God concept just in general. But, you know, do you consider the God concept an empty signifier that political powers can easily control and exploit in order to construct and sanction an oppressive politics to mobilize the necessary forces to disseminate and legislate an unjust legal system and to conceal atrocities yes. from both themselves and their victims? Yes, because think about how... Um, how Bush used religion, okay? 
he would talk about I, I, I'm, I'm, there are a whole bunch of people who will turn off their their BS uh, meter, their their their, their bullshit meter, once someone says uh, one of the Christiany catchphrases like a, I'm a blessed or uh, you know whatever the phrase they just say over and over again to um, recognize each other. I, I suppose is what they're really doing it for. I don't even know if they know that's what they're doing it. It's I, like I said, I really wish just on a on a on a, just on a be at a real level. I wish you would stop saying I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I think it's a I think it won. Uh, scoundrels and politicians could just say that And he's tricking you thinking that he's one of you Two, and most importantly uh, How about instead saying I'm grateful I'm grateful for whatever I have No matter where it came from Instead of saying I'm blessed Which implies That somehow some invisible being Is helping your life While ignoring the tragedies all around the planet Which is ridiculous Right Right, right, and that kind of ties into something we'll talk about a little bit later, which is illusory superiority, and for you philosophers out there, I'm talking about the Dunner-Kruger effect. But basically, you know, just, just looking all of this, so do you think that if we abolished the God concept, that it would eliminate the politics of oppression? And basically, I don't think we can abolish it. I just well, don't I mean, think we can, because it's so simple. I mean, like, people... You take a, a twig from the tree, and you uh, mm-hmm. sharpen it into a, a point. You made you made a tool, and so people. That's how I think the God concept starts. Is uh, since you can make something, you think something made you. Well, okay, okay? But, and that's you know, hard to get rid of. Let's put it in context. But let's put it in context. When I'm talking about abolishing the God concept here, I'm talking about. You know, eliminating, and I'm talking from a political standpoint, not necessarily, you know, a collective standpoint of abolishing the God concept. And this is more on an individual basis, but what I'm trying to do is basically, if we were to abolish the God concept um, from our lives, that's the atheists, if you will, but I do believe that it would basically take power away from the dominant political forces because actually religion tends to be their most effective weapon for pushing political agendas and for basically corralling, you know, um, the community is corralling the citizens in this country and basically is telling people that we have to accept whatever they push down, you know, policy-wise, that we're supposed to accept it and not challenge and critique it. So that's what I mean when I say abolishing, you know, the God concept, more from right. a political but, but I'm saying, okay. I'm still saying no because they would just latch onto bigotry or uh, greed, right? So mm-hmm. rather rather than help, you know what I mean? They would uh, only that that's the reason why. Uh, so the reason why people are against Obamacare isn't their belief in religion; it's their uh, belief in bigotry, and they don't want to wait in line with any ends around. Okay, the re- you know you see what I'm saying. So, the reason why people are quick to go to war because they look at those people as some other religion. So that could maybe be it, but it, it's still built on the greed concept of whether it be the war profiteers um, or those who don't want you paying attention to their thievery, uh, drumming up wars to keep the um, to keep the topic flipping. 
So I, I don't think getting rid of people believing in the God or the God concept would actually push all the way towards some type of peaceful utopia. I, I just think that well, no, there are other things extend. Not even looking for a peaceful utopia. But now basically, you know, um, you know, basically religious people, they see themselves as the quote-unquote chosen people, correct? And they feel as though they have some type of special or spiritual knowledge that gives them, you know, a direct line to God and God's truth. And they take that, and what they're doing is they're trying to weave it into politics and, to a certain degree, trying to turn this country into a theocracy, which is what the majority of us are fighting against when we start talking about the separation of church and state. But basically what happens is they believe that they have this special knowledge from God and that they can basically dictate and determine who's chosen, who's human, who's fully human, and that they should rule and govern over people who are non-chosen. And, you know, what I find interesting is with a lot of these religious people, especially when we're talking about the chosen and the non-chosen, these were the same type of explanations that were given when they justified um, slavery, when they justified sexism, when they justified incest and pedophilia, and I'm coming just straight, you know, things that were justified by the Bible and justified Mm -hmm. by, you know, the people that wrote the Bible. And what I find interesting now is that now that we have, you know, uh, quite a few black Christians, they're using those same justifications to oppress other people, the LGBTQ community, um, the secular community, and, and, and others. So it's just, it seems as though it's the same arguments being, you know, recapitulated over and over. So, again, I, I think we need to chip away at the original argument. I mean, that's what we've been doing over the years, but because they claim to have this higher knowledge, this chosen knowledge, and be chosen people, they feel that they, you know, have divine authority to dictate to everyone else what the truth is according to that book when, in all actuality, they can't even agree on the interpretation of the book. I mean, you know, that kind of goes back to some of what we were talking about yesterday on your show when we were talking about, uh, you know, the different denominations, the different versions of the Bible. And, and, And so they can't agree upon these things themselves. But one thing that they do agree upon is that they're right and everybody else is wrong. Right. They don't know how they got to that conclusion, but they know that whoever's inside these four little walls or in our little sect, we're the good ones, and and, and, um, those are the others. And and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that i got to believe that if even you could, um, as Ingersoll might uh, have mentioned, uh, push religion down to, like, the astrology level, Mm -hmm. I still think that it would be people who think it's their their birthright to be rich. You know what I mean? Oh, of and, course. Uh, who would, yeah. <clears throat> who oh, yeah, still of course. do the that's same thing. And, right, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's the whole thing. You know, you're going to have people who think that they should be rich, but, you know, again, from a political standpoint, you know, we have to get the religion out of the politics, if you will. But um, I think for, you know, communities of color, that atheism 
you know, um, should be embraced more, you know, whether it's humanism or free thought or what have you, because basically with that type, with most people in the atheist or free thought communities, they value and cherish, you know, critical thinking, um, research, you know, learning, and, you know, speaking up for themselves. And I believe that in communities of color, even if they call themselves free thinkers, even if they call themselves non-believers or what have you, I believe it will allow us to basically challenge the power structures. And because with a lot of these power structures, and again, you, you spoke on it earlier, with these politicians that come into the churches, only when it's time for them to be elected or reelected and come in with some type of scripture and, you know, put together some five-minute sermon or what have you, they know that they're using religion as a tool, and it's a very powerful weapon. And that's why I'm saying we have to we have to start chipping away at that and the public policies. It's important that we start, you know, hitting those up. And, and because again, a lot of this has been used to justify the oppression of you know powerless people. You know, Richard White in his Richard Wright in his book The Outsider, he said. God made white people to rule over the lower breeds. And that was one of the justifications that they used during times of slavery. You know, the mm-hmm. God concept, you know, allowed them to know better that, you know, the community, the black community or the slaves didn't know any better, but they had this, you know, epistemolo- you know epistemological type of, you know, information from God. And epistemology basically means knowledge people. And so, you know, and, and and that was what they used to say that we were biologically and intellectually inferior, in which we all know that's a fallacy. That's not true. But, you know, they were able to use the Bible to take control over us and our community and to basically create to a certain degree a victim mentality because they had a lot of them believing that it was their fault and that they were meant to be slaves. And some of that mindset is still in our community. You know what? You're right. Anytime someone can convince you that you were bad from the start, man, and you believe them, and that whatever happened to you is your fault, you know what I mean? Uh, even when uh, when it wasn't, man, that's man, that's a rough beginning. And it goes back to what my father was telling me about how in Pennsylvania, before the Civil War, if you were black and said you were Christian, you could be free. But if you weren't, you had to still be a slave. And I'm like, well, duh, we just forgot why we were doing that shit in the first place. Right, exactly. And that takes me to a quote from James Baldwin from The Fire Next Time. And the quote is, white people hold the power, which means that they are superior to blacks. Intrinsically, that is, God decreed it so, and the world has innumerable ways of making this difference known and felt and feared long before the Negro child perceives this difference, and even longer before he understands it, he has begun to react to it. He has begun to be controlled by it. Right, right, you're right. Before you even notice it, you realize that, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I've been agreeing with this in, in, in subtle ways, right? Uh I mean, look, I – did you see the 
video of Tyler Perry uh, laying hands on T.D. Jakes and, 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 and talking in tongues and doing the whole heel, mm-hmm. Benny Hinn thing. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Video? Mm-hmm. That video, it just showed me that basically there are trickers and there are uh, tricks and there are the tricked. And I I just don't want to be one of the tricked. I cannot believe that there's a a group of a thousand black folks in a city sitting there nodding their head at some grown man acting like he has some magical power, placing it on some other person's you know body and and and, and doing something. It is it's tragic. It's mean, and I I don't see how to get out of it because I mean we're all in it. I mean. I don't know how to uh, uh-huh. come up with a solution for it because it, it seems like they're so stuck and wrapped into it. And I mean, but I guess that's how you know all of the but, uh, thinkers thought. But it's politics. You know, what do I got to do? Yeah, but no, but I think there's a lot of politics behind it, which is you know why you know I'm kind of bringing this up here because you know for so long we didn't have agency over ourselves. We, and to a certain degree, we still don't. Um, You know, in order for us to move forward, we're going to have to take our humanity back. Just take it back. Because, I mean, when we talked a little bit um, earlier on another show, we were talking about Harriet Tubman and how she took her freedom. You know, she didn't ask anybody for it. She just took it. So, you know, just quoting here from the book here, it says, Therefore, becoming human means having the political freedom to name and define oneself, the liberty and ability to construct oneself as human, but to cycle, um, basically to project oneself into being as human. It is socially and politically necessary to kill God, where it is a God concept that enables those in power not just to, not not just to control concepts like the human, but also to prevent certain groups from having the political freedom to act like a human. Hmm. That's that's a good one. Uh, Ingersoll said, uh, the first great step towards progress is for man to cease to be the slave of man. The second, to cease to be the slave of the monsters of his own creation, of the ghost, of the phantoms of the air. Robert Greenacres, right? Wow. And then that's what kind of that's good, right? And those, those are your own creations, okay. and and if you can't get from underneath them, then if anybody can label you as being with the demon, with the devil, or or any evil, whatever, then they can squash your ideas and um and label you a less than, and right. any yeah. group. I, any group trying to label other groups as 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 less thans, uh, they're really messing up. I, I don't see how you can continue doing that, um, and 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 call yourself righteous. Uh, I don't, Kim. I really don't know. It it it, it boggles my mind when thinking about the sheer numbers of people who still believe the Garden of Eden story. It blows right. my mind, and just but it's because they haven't thought it through, and. Um, mm-hmm. I think Ingersoll said uh, the problem is, is if you believe the church right, you won't investigate. And if you believe the church wrong, the church will investigate you 
<laughs> right, right, right. You know, but it, it goes back to, you know, basically allowing others to define you and to dictate to you, you know, what they feel is the right way. Because, again, you know, um, just kind of pulling this in a little bit, you know, regarding, you know, communities of color and the secular community here. And one of the things that we've been kind of pushing back against is having, you know, the mainstream groups attempting to define us and to a certain degree put us in a box. And, you know, that's been somewhat the issue for a while just in America, period, whereas you have the mainstream, you know, defining, you know, groups, you know, subgroups, if you will, and defining who's, you know, human, who's subhuman, who's inferior or what have you. But, you know, again, we have to challenge, you know, these concepts. But, again, you're right, you know, um, no one should have the right to define who is human, who is subhuman. But, again, even if they took people who were designated and defined as being inferior or subhuman, and if they took them and told them that they were now human, I mean, that's, those are just words. You have to give them political agency. You have to allow them to make decisions for themselves. And, and that's right. where some of the cop comes in. You know, I think one way we oh, – I think I really believe that the only way to attack uh, Christianity is start off by attacking the idea of a hell. If you attack the idea of a hell, the idea of a devil, as silly and ridiculous, I, I think that might be the only real way to um, to make a to, to make a headway. You know, I, I, I never was the type of person, even when I was religious, that was going around saying, "Watch out for the devil," "Watch out," you know, "Watch out the devil," this, the devil that. I never was like that, and I think that might have been my. Uh, Saving grace, you know, right. for lack of a better term, uh, that I wasn't right. sitting around worrying about the devil. <laughs> okay, but if you believe that there's a devil, that there's an evil being trying to get you, man, just the time you would spend trying to avoid that mother, father, um, would um, would be such a waste of human energy and time. It, it um, there's no way to come. There's no way to advance if if that's really what you're doing. I I just don't. Right. I don't see how oh, you yeah, do no, Right. And this is another quote from the book. It says, conversely, such a system renders culturally designated inferiors incapable of behaving as independent agents. It implicitly converts them into subhumans, three-fifths humans or animals. Uh-huh. You know, and so, you know, this is the reason why many of us just, you know, to kind of put it in context, this is the reason why many of us reject theology and reject the God concept just in general. Um, you know, it's just this whole thing. But let me see here. We have Deborah on the line, and I see we have Mario here as well. Deborah and Mario, welcome. How you doing Howdy. today, hey. y'all? What it is. Good morning. <laughs> Mario, how are you, hon? I'm all right. I'm all right. 
Hey, Kim, oh, I, right. I gotta take off. I, I, I just was staying until somebody else popped on. Uh, I wanted to say that uh, this hit you with Ingersoll. Ingersoll, I don't see how any woman could be religious or uh, in the Christianity yeah. religion at all. Ingersoll mm-hmm. said that the parasite of the woman is the priest. Take that. Y'all have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> you too, Travis. You take it easy. Okay. Thank you. Okay, take it easy. And, You're um, welcome. Bye-bye. Take it easy, baby. Okay, I may, come, I may pop back in, but I got to go. It's my biggest birthday. So. Oh, well, happy birthday. Okay. Well, happy we'll birthday. talk soon. Okay? Sarah, Kim said happy birthday. She said yeah. thank you. Y'all take it easy. <laughs> you too. But, okay, you know, bye-bye. going back to Travis just said, you know, that goes back to Nella Larson because, you know, if you go back and you read some of her writing, it talks about how the God's concept basically divested women of power and authority over their own bodies, which is one of the, you know, concepts you see being pushed with the feminist community and with feminism. So, you know, again, you know, yes, you know, the God concept has, you know, stripped women of power and authority. And, you know, Richard Wright, you know, if you go back and read his you know, writings, and it exposes how the God concept is used by whites to basically categorize non-whites as half-human and lower breeds, you know. And if you go back and you look at what Langston Hughes has written, and basically it, it talks about how the political and legal systems work in tandem with the culture's religious, religious mindset to disenfranchise and dehumanize black people. So that's why I say you have to look at the big picture. You have to look at it all and put it all in the proper context in order for, you know, us to be able to move forward and to break some ground and to move forward because it's important that we understand, um, you know, what's, you know, going on. So, I mean, Deborah, you have anything to say? Well, no, I mean, like, everything is basically uh, what you're saying I, I agree with, you know, because... Speak up a little bit, uh, hon. I'm sorry. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm still low. But I just was saying that, you know, everything you said uh, I agree with. I, uh, I, I choose to... I don't think going to hell to, 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 will reach them. I really don't. Um, I mean, you know, talking about hell... I don't. I I really don't think that that they already scared. Of, so scared of hell, they don't want to hear anything you want to know, you know. And I'm just dealing with them on a one. I guess I I just bring up stuff, different things, you know. That and they got the in their minds that some things just don't make any sense, you know. Um, I want them to. They need to do their own research. It doesn't make any sense. We're holding our own selves back. Uh, you know, like I, I would always say, when my mama, my mama was born in 1920, and like, you know, when she was a kid, they didn't know what was going on in the next county. But you, mm-hmm. today is no excuse. You can do your own research. You got libraries. You got books. It's no excuse for you to hold. You hold your own self back. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. And that's the reason why it's important that we have these shows and we have, you know, the books and, you know, just, just you know, a myriad of different, you know, um, avenues that people can take to get information, 
you know, to get in, you know, videos, everything. And that's why I think it's important that we talk about it, which is why, you know, I open the lines to talk to people on the show. But, yeah, you know, you have to encourage and motivate and support people to go and, you know, do some research on their own, to ask questions, and we need to be open to answering those questions. Wouldn't you agree, Mario? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't think the uh, regards to changing people's minds, mindset, you know, as far as regards religion and everything, I think it's going to take a heck of a lot more than pointing out the flaws in it, right? Because they don't see those flaws, and when you exactly. point out those flaws, they're going to have a reason for why you misunderstood something, or the context you took it, or there's a flaw in your logic, no matter what. Religion, you know, is more than just textbook. It's more than just thinking, thinking, you know, that uh, God did this. It's a belief. These people truly believe in their being all this stuff. And for the most part, I don't think you're ever going to change a lot of people's minds. Exactly, exactly, and, and I agree with you. And I'm going to define a couple of concepts that we're going to talk about in a minute. So I just want to define the word humanness, H-U-M-M-A-N-N-E-S-S, humanness, okay? And that basically means of characterizing or relating to man and mankind, which is human nature, consisting of people, the human race, having the attributes of man as opposed to animals, divine beings, or machines, um, human failings, kind or considerate. Okay, so I wanted to define that. And then I also wanted to define another term here. Okay, objective knowledge. And basically objective knowledge is that which cannot be contested or refuted regardless of situation. A good example would be one plus one equals two. This is, you know, objective knowledge, and because any other meaning attributed to the statement would make it incorrect. So I wanted to define those two bits of terminology before I go into this next part here, because basically, you know, um, it's just interesting because religion has been used as a weapon, Religion has been used as a weapon to oppress and dehumanize, you know, individuals. And, you know, with the politics of the God concept, basically many religious people feel that they can determine humanness, determine who's a human, who's a subhuman, who's inferior, you know, who's a full-fledged human, and, and, and... they believe that they have the true morality, the the truth, if you will, um, the true religion, and those who are not part of the true religion but call themselves religious, well, you know, they're different. They're not the real religious types. And for those, that's the no true Scots and fallacy. And, you know, again, they use that so-called divine or spiritual knowledge to determine humanness. And they, they say that it's objective knowledge in, in their world. They're using objective knowledge to determine um, humanness, if you will. And, you know, again, it's, 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 a, it's a social construct. It's a social construct, and it needs to be dismantled. It definitely needs to be dismantled because, you know, 
this has been used to destroy communities, to destroy, you know, other people, wars, you know, oppression. There are, you know, several different, you know, examples we can give. I mean, from the time that, you know, the pilgrims came to America, they used religion to systematically, you know, abuse, you know, Native Americans, blacks, women, and powerless Europeans as well. So, you know, again, when you hear, you know, different groups, you know, when you hear some white people saying, well, whites were slaves as well, that's correct. And they were some of the powerless Europeans, and they were abused with religion as well. So, you know, let's put it in context. And basically, um, they were using their version of their Christian faith as the standard. And it basically gave them agency, if you will, to abuse those they considered as um, culturally inferior. And you know some what? of that still plays on today. Yes. I just want to say uh, one thing. To this day, now maybe you have, I think it was a different type of slavery for white people because to this day I have not seen where a white person was hung. Well, you know, well, um, you know, well, you know um, reading, um, you know, from what I read and everything, I've well, listened to uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Um, there isn't a culture on this planet that isn't affected by slavery. Either they benefited from it or, or they actively participated in it. This is one reason why I find it humorous that Christians use the fact that the Israelites were released from slavery as some form of inspiration when they've been in slavery exactly. itself. They just released these one group of people, and you got to wonder how did they get into slavery, and they had a God behind them anyway. But mm-hmm. I guess that's another story. But, um, like, uh, especially in the Roman times, you know, they had their slaves were educated. But if you just happened to be a slave to get pissed off at your master and you killed your master, all of y'all died. Right. Well, see, the thing is, is that, you know, and, you know, just to kind of, you know, take what you said a little bit further, basically... If, you know, and we all know the story of Exodus, it never happened. Moses never lived. Um, you know, um, Jewish scholars have, you know, admitted that. And I've um, posted articles in the past, and if I can remember, I'll post it again today. But if they were looking at the Bible and they saw that the Israelites were enslaved and then they were released because God deemed it so and that they should not have been slaves, then how were the slave masters, you know, how were they able to, in good conscience and in good faith, enslave anyone else when the Bible had already determined and dictated that it was wrong? You know, well. But I'm sure oh. they're not thinking about it that way. No, they're not. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I just found that interesting. I thought it was, you know, funny in its own way, but. You know, it's, again, you know, it's, it's it's a lot happening out here. It's a lot going on. But we basically, um, like I said, you know, learn a little bit more about public policy, a little bit more about what's going on, what's happening, and, you know, being able to attack it and, you know, from a variety of different ways, from a variety of different angles there. And, you know, just getting out here because, um, you know, I'll read a point from the book here. 
and it's talking about William R. Jones, which is an African-American religious scholar. And basically what he was saying is basically that African-American atheists traced their intellectual lineage to the Enlightenment or the Scientific Revolution. But he also cautioned scholars to note that African-Americans, in formulating their critique of the God concept, developed their criticisms from radically different socioeconomic contexts that traditional Enlightenment rationalists, and as a consequence, the question of God for African-Americans is posed in different ways. Now, the reason why I found that particular statement extremely important is because not only when we're talking about, you know, uh, black atheism and how we came into atheism and what it means to us and our perception of it, but also, you know, it kind of applies to the secular community when you have people from the mainstream, you know, um, you know, we get attacked in some ways. Um, you know, why do you have black in front of your name? Why do you have different groups? Why can't you just, you know, be a part of this group? Why can't you just, you know, assimilate, if you will? And, you know, and some of the, you know, our white listeners out there, I want you all to listen to this and listen well because it just told you. For the most part, we come from radically different socioeconomic contexts, which means in some ways we see things a little bit differently, which is why you hear many of, you know, the black atheists, non-believers, humanists, free thinkers in the community while we're pushing for social justice. And it goes back to comments that I've made in the past. You know, people don't give a damn about your math and science if they're trying to figure out how they're going to pay their rent and how they're going to feed their children or how they're going to go about, um, you know, paying for the daycare so that they can go to work to maintain their household and their family. So, you know, it's, it's more to it than just, you know, getting out here with a billboard saying I'm an atheist and, you know, uh, you know, hooray for me. It's a lot more to it in our communities. And, you know, it's, it's just it's different. It's different. And, it's an insult, and I find it offensive when I'm approached by people from the mainstream and they say, well, that shouldn't matter because you were able to make it, you were able to be successful, so why can't, you know, these other people? And Mario just dropped the line, and but um, and thanks for calling in, Mario. But I find it offensive because, again, you know, to a certain degree, I do believe in I am my brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. I do believe in helping others. I do believe that to a certain degree that I have a certain responsibility to assist mm-hmm. those that are in need. So, you know, it's it's you know it's it's a lot out here, and it's a lot of pressure on us because for those of us that actually leave Christianity and are open and out about our non-belief, our atheism, our humanism, is like social suicide, if you will. And when you have politicians, and if you've noticed, 
a lot more churches, a lot more pastors, ministers, what have you, they're getting more involved in politics. Some have run for office, um, you know, and basically trying to force their beliefs on the rest of us, which is why it's important that we stay active, that we vote, that we um, jury duty show up, and, you know, do your job that we not allow other people to dictate who and what we are. It's important that we maintain a certain amount of autonomy and full agency of ourselves and what we're trying to do and where we're trying to go. So, you know, um, you know, the God concept has been used, you know, to determine humanness, um, and basically categorize other people as subhuman or non-human. And especially in communities of color, we should have empathy, you know, for other groups because, you know, that was used on us, it's still used on us. If you look at the media and you see how they portray people of color, you know, it's, it's, it's unreal. You know, we're portrayed as, or they'll call us thugs and animals and, you know, even with the advent of the Internet, look at some of the comment sections and you'll see, you know, a lot of racist comments depending on the story. And, you know, it's it's just interesting and I just feel that, you know, we need to stay abreast of that and call it out um, when needed because um, this is being done on purpose, you know. And, yeah, it's being done on purpose. And I just think it's important that we call it out and we stay on top of that. And I wanted to read a quote I'm looking here for. Here it is, basically um, from E.M. Forster. And, you know, he was talking about this chosen people mentality. And he was noting how the non-chosen are treated as a sort of moral football designed by providence for the purpose of keeping the chosen race in good condition. Smash them up, smash up the Gentiles. They're sure to be plotting against us. If only we could understand their beastly lingo. Teach them that we are the chosen race and that they aren't, that we have the law and they haven't, that we are the real jungle folk and they are the gibbering monkeys, end quote. You know, it's so sad. It's so sad that they got Speak up a little bit, honey. I'm sorry. I was just saying, it's so sad how they got to lie about themselves. When you think about it, you well, know, you got to be mm-hmm. really freaked. You got to be really, really freaked out to, to and know, and they know, they got to know how screwed up their past has been for them to continue to lie and say that they're so this and that. I feel sometimes I feel sorry for I'm just so glad I'm not white. <laughs> I tell you. I'm sorry. Right. I mean we've come a long way. But no, I mean but the thing is is that, you know, again, a lot of this is being justified with the God concept. And that's the reason why, you know, I just wanted to talk about it a little bit and, you know, to put it in a different context. Because, you know, putting, you know, some emphasis on the atheists of color communities here, it's like there's a lot of work to do, and there's a lot of institutionalized racism that needs to be dismantled, needs to be challenged, critiqued, dismantled, 
and, you know, again, public policy. You know, you have a lot of people out here arguing as to, you know, whether there's heaven or hell and, you know, and if that's your thing, that's your thing, that's fine. But, mm-hmm. again, you know, we have all these conversations, but we need action. And that goes back to challenging the laws, challenging the status quo, if you will, and, you know, getting out here and taking an active role in life in the community. And basically, like I said earlier, you know, taking back your humanity, taking it back, you know, not only as a non-believer or a free thinker or an atheist or, you know, a humanist, but just as a human being, as a person, you know, because, again, you know, Claudette Colvin, you know, was the first one to sit on a bus and say that she was not moving so that, you know, a white person could have that seat. And that actually happened nine months before Rosa Parks. But Rosa Parks was heralded because, again, she was chosen to go and sit on a bus to, you know, make a point. The reason why they didn't use Claudette Colvin was because she was an unmarried teen mom. Well, she was pregnant at the time. And basically that's the reason why, you know, they didn't use her as the face and they used Rosa Parks instead. And, you know, because of all the controversy that happened with Rosa Parks, they had to leave Alabama, and that's how they ended up in Michigan. So, you know, again, it's about taking your humanity, taking your agency. And, again, it's not so much about just having the mainstream, if you will, tell you that, yes, you're human, because we've heard that argument before. We're all human. You know, we're exactly a slut-shaming old-school style, you know, but you hear the arguments. We're all human, and, you know, so there is no difference. There's no such thing as, you know, racism, and that's in the past, and we have a black president, and, you know, uh, get over it. Those are insults, and they're extremely offensive. You know, uh, blacks, people of color in general, do not have the political power, and in most, in, or the economic power. Let's just call it for what it is. Um, even though by the year, I believe it's 2015. We will have $1.1 trillion spending power. That's a lot of money. And if only we could allow it to recirculate in our communities. But anyway, you know, that's where the power is. Yeah, we can. We can. Yeah, yeah. that's where the power Yeah, Mm -hmm. most definitely. You know, that's what all we have to do is unite with each other. Right, right. and But, I mean, but that's not, you know, um, negating that, you know, we have allies from other cultures and nationalities, and it's important that we acknowledge them and that we work together, but it's also important that they recognize um, their privilege still. There's still some privilege there. And, and it's okay because, you know, from my understanding of what I've seen and what I've dealt with with quite a few people in the, you know, uh, secular community, is many of them are trying to learn. I've seen on many occasions, I've seen them say, be quiet and listen. 
So many of them are trying to learn, and I find that commendable, and that's that's wonderful, you know. And that's the reason why we talk about these things. This is why we bring things to the forefront, why we, you know, find it, you know, important to have these discussions, you know. And it's just interesting because, again, going back to, you know, the Bible, and, you know, how it's used as a weapon to oppress others, you know, it's it's interesting how many of us in the secular community read the Bible, study the Bible, can, you know, spit out scriptures real fast. And, you know, basically the challenge from believers will be, well, if you don't hear anything about the Bible and don't believe in it, why do you, you know, know it so well? And the answer to that from Travis would be because you don't. Because many of them, you know, basically they can tell you what their pastor said but not what the Bible said. But it's important that we point out the contradictions. It's important that we pull out and show them um, just some of the horrible things that are justified by the Bible, if you will. So that goes back to what we were talking about with, you know, slavery, sexism, incest, um, pedophilia, you know, and there are many, many more examples, you know, in the Bible, and the Bible justifies it. And, you know, it kind of plays into, you know, some of the laws, which is why in some states there are some 13, you know, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 12-year-old little girls that can get married. And when they were trying to change the laws, you know, you had a lot of people coming up against it because you had, you know, grown men, 30s and 40s, marrying 12, 13-year-old girls. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, it was just fun. My grandfather uh, married, uh, he was like 30, my, I'm sorry, my great-grandfather. That was back in that time. And he mm-hmm. married uh, uh, something like a a 15-year-old girl, and he was like 40. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the reason why you see a lot of the issues that we have now with grown men having this fantasy about young girls because at one point it was acceptable, At one point, it was acceptable. And, you know, again, the status quo, trying to get things changed, you're going to have a fight. Um, You know, you're going to have a fight. So it's just interesting. That's why I tell people to go back and, you know, get a better understanding of all of this. And, you know, if we reject theology and colonialism, I just really believe that our communities will be able to move forward and we'll be able to kind of shed a lot of these concepts, you know. Um, and going back to something that Travis was talking about earlier, well, he didn't talk about it on the show today, but we talked about it in the past, about, you know, um, how the Bible basically produces a victim mentality that is always, you know, the victim's fault. But here's a quote right here. It says, a belief of fatality removes all blame from the oppressor. The cause of misfortunes and of poverty is attributed to God. He is fate. In this way, the individual accepts the disintegration ordained by God, bows down before the settler in his lot, and by a kind of interior restabilization, acquires a stony calm. 
Mm-hmm. And that is what happened to quite a few in our community and it's still happening now. So that, you know, when we have these atrocities happening and happening on a consistent basis, I'll give you here in Chicago, you know, all of the murders, you know, they call Chicago Chirac, if you will. They call us Chirac and, you know, I've, in the past year, you know, I've seen two people get shot. You know, the first time stunned me, the second time it pissed me off. And that's just within the past year. And, you know, you when you talk to some of the people in the community, you know, you still have that no snitch rule, or you'll have someone saying, well, it's God's will. But you've got a lot more now standing up saying that it's wrong. So, you know, we've had marches going through my neighborhood and other neighborhoods saying stop the violence and standing up. And that's why I posted that article earlier today about how minorities do call out and do criticize and challenge other minorities because this has to stop. But when you have people saying, well, you know, you know, it's God's work, we're going to leave it all in God's hand, it takes the responsibility off of them. It takes the responsibility off of them to go out and do anything because many of these people feel hopeless, they feel helpless. And we have to turn that around. That's what the Bible promotes, dependability. Exactly. I mean, dependence instead of independence, you see. It wants you to depend. It said, don't don't depend on that drug. Depend on me. Right, right, right. And that's where, no, yeah, because, you know, you've heard us talking about transference. So, you know, I've seen, I've personally seen people who had, Um, addiction issues, whether it was alcohol or drugs, and they would attend church. And they would say it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you will, that they were able to just cold turkey stop drinking or drugging. But then, you know, they turn around and start a dependence, if you will, on religion. So, you know, you'll see them in a church every time the church doors open, if you will. It's kind of like a codependent type of relationship there. But they traded one thing in for something else. And I've talked about this on past shows in which I stated, you know, to the secular community, you know, we need to have visibility in our communities. But in addition to that, we have to have something to offer. Now, not everybody believes that, and that's fine. But I do, and there are others that I know because we converse. We've talked about this, and, you know, some of the same programs that's offered by the church, which comes through the government, they're government-sponsored programs. So, again, there's the politics behind it in which we could offer help with gas and light bills. Um, We could start food pantry. And even with the um, CETA, LIHEAP program, you know, basically we can employ people in the community and teach them new job skills. You know how to do data entry, how to do filing, you know, how to use the computer and turn it into a job training program, if you will, which is federal money. They'll give you money for that as well. But, you know, the secular community, you know, hasn't really been doing that, but I, I see some turnaround. There's hope. There's a lot of hope in this community, and I see people trying to galvanize 
you know, other people and they're trying to get out here and they're trying to make a difference. So I have to give credit where it's due. But, yes, you're right. Um, in many cases, you know, they've been taught and they've been trained not to do anything that their leaders, those that have authority over them, will make the best decision for them and that they should just go along to get along. And that goes back to, you know, again, what we're talking about, you know, the God concept and, you know, um, and basically how it operates, you know, on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. And I don't think many of these people realize, you know, uh, how deeply indoctrinated and ingrained, you know, some of this is. And, I mean, you know, yesterday when we were on Travis's show, Funny to the Moon, we talked a little bit about this. And I made a note here because I wanted to bring something up because um, one of the hosts, he was talking about we need that the atheist community needs to embrace the concept of God being dead. And I found that interesting because if we embrace the notion that God is dead, then that will be acknowledging that he existed or that there is a God, which will cause conflict for many, you know, atheists and humanists and free thinkers. So, you know, is it more appropriate to say the God concept is dead? Because if you pay attention, you know, church membership has been declining. And younger people are rejecting religion, you know, more and more. That's why when they show these polls and show the statistics, now many of them categorize themselves as nuns, you know. So, you know, that whole concept is, you know, interesting. But I just think it's important that we pay attention to these things. And, you know, earlier I spoke a little bit about illusory superiority, and I'll go ahead and define it for you guys. But illusory superiority is a cognitive bias that causes people to overestimate their positive qualities and abilities and to underestimate their negative qualities relative to others. And this is evident in a variety of areas, including intelligence, performance on tasks or tests, and the possession of desirable characteristics or personality traits. It is one of many positive illusions relating to the self and is a phenomenon studied in social psychology. So, you know, um, I've seen that you know, many different instances, you know, not only with religious people, but I've seen that also in the secular community, which, you know, I find interesting. And, again, our telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. And you can press 1 to speak with us. But, you know, um, it just goes back to, you know, a few of the things that we've talked about. Um you know, basically, one of the questions are, are religious followers more susceptible to morality based on illusory superiority? And, you know, there are a lot of different answers. Of course, um, many atheists would say yes. On the other hand, many believers would say no, it's the other way around. And, you know, I'm going to read an answer that I saw from a Christian And basically, he said, objective morals are those that are based outside of yourself. Subjective morals are those that depend on you, your situation, culture, and your preferences. Subjective morals change, can become contradictory, and might differ from person to person. This is the best that atheism has to offer us as a worldview. 
And he said, think about it, in atheism, there is no moral right or wrong. There is no moral should or shouldn't. Why? Because when you remove God, you remove the standard by which objective moral truth is established. In atheism, morality is up for grabs. In in an atheistic worldview. Go ahead. Yeah, but I'm saying this is a Christian. This is a Christian's response, you know, I, to, you know, go ahead. See, that's what I'm saying, that this, that the, uh, 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 dependency. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you straight up, I think that you're born with with knowing a lot about right and wrong. I'm not going to say all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, the reason I say that, I mean, I mean, does, does anybody they have cats and dogs or anything like that? I mean, do you look at the animals out here? They don't go to mm-hmm. church. They, they, right? They're born with it. You know, I mean, I love, I'm a, I love animals, right? I mm-hmm. have, I have a pit, I have a pit bull here right now, but I've had plenty of dogs. Now check out, check out when have you had one that had a baby, had babies? Ain't no mama yeah. told that. Dog, how to have a baby, what to do with that baby, to love that baby. They do all of that by themselves. So for, oh, oh. So Jimmy said we got to go to church. Much sooner than an animal. Oh, I get so pissed. I'm sorry. No, I understand exactly where you're coming from, and and, and again, you know it. is based on their dictates, if you will, what they dictate and determine what is right, what they dictate and determine what is wrong. And, you know, again, you know, that's because, you know, they have, you know, a direct line to their God, and they have some type of divine knowledge, if you will. But, you know, again, you know, we're becoming stronger, we're becoming more vocal, and we're dismantling a lot of these arguments, and we're bringing it all to the forefront, if you will. And it's important that we continue to do this. And all I'm saying is, you know, guys, I'm encouraging you, go out here, get this knowledge, get this information, but, you know, to be able to explain it to others, that's important. But going back to, you know, what I was talking about a little bit earlier about getting out into the community, and, yes, you know, it will be political, you know, but you have to understand the politics behind it, but also understand the politics of the God concept because, you know, again, we were to raise our voices and bring many of these issues to the forefront in mass, if you will, you know, as far as communities of color and, you know, the public policies that are oppressive, um, then start voting with our dollars, if you will, and start voting the people who basically aren't listening, vote them out of office. You know, one of the issues we have is we put people back in office because we recognize the name or or because, you know, just a variety of different, you know, issues, and especially if the person hasn't done anything that we wanted them to do. You know, if you've had the same alderman for 20 years and the same potholes are in the street for the past 10 years, and the same street lights have been out for the past 20 years, they're not looking out for your best interests. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just think it's important that, you know, um, people in the mainstream, you know, white people, that they reach out to the black community 
and, you know, develop some type of kinship with us and, you know, our allies and that we can, you know, walk on and walk together and because we're going to have to do this together. You know, there's no way to get around it. We're going to have to work together but with the communities of color, you know, um, you know, there are lines being drawn in the sand. And this has been, you know, quite clear the past several years and it's going to be even clearer in the upcoming few years because, again, um, with us having, you know, such, with religion having such a stronghold in our communities, you know, a lot of these ministers and pastors believe that they're above the law. And they believe that they can dictate law. And you're starting to see that. Um, Carl and Alfred on their show this past Friday, they were talking about how some, you know, religious communities are going up against, you know, or, or going up against gay ordinances, if you will, and trying to, you know, make dictates. And, you know, you're seeing this all over the country. Um, trying to remember where this happened. But in one state, I believe it's Wisconsin, but I may be wrong. Don't quote me there. But if you leave that particular state and go to another state and get married in your LGBTQ and you come back to that state, they can put you in jail. You can be arrested. Yeah. I, I and that's on the books. That is on the books. That is law, you know. And um, San Antonio, thank you, Alfred. Yeah, that was San Antonio. And I just you know, we have to, again, become politically engaged. You know, we've talked about this on several occasions, and it's just important that we do so. And we start, you know, again, making clear distinctions and, you know, getting out here and letting ourselves be known. Because otherwise, you know, we continue on the same path that we're, you know, on. We're just going to be walking in circles. It's going to be the same bullshit over and over, just new names, new faces for the same situation. And, you know, again, you know, people have used the God concept to define who's human again, who's subhuman, who's inferior. Um, the God concept has been used to, again, you know, justify slavery, sexism, homophobia, you know, a number of different issues, pedophilia, incest, and, you know, we need to be conscious about these things, yeah. and we need to get out here, and we need to, again, challenge what is truth, because many religious people think that they have the divine truth, that they have the only truth, and that allows them to dictate, you know, what's happening and where we're going and what we're doing. So, you know, again, you know, guys, we got to define who we are. Um, you know, I put up a quote yesterday from Hubert Harrison, and it said, it should, be, it should seem that Negroes, of all Americans, would be found in a free thought fold since they suffered more than any other class of Americans from the dubious blessings of Christianity. Yeah. Dubious blessings of Christianity, uh, that's the key right there. I think what what it is, really, you know, but, you know, I'm into, like... Just a little bit louder. I'm into, like, science and different things like that. 
And you know mm-hmm. how, you know how we um, we get our eyes from our grandmama or our cheeks from our daddy, and and different things uh, physically we get from our ancestors. But I think we also get, you know, what's in the blood. We get the the fear that has been passed down to us too. Some kind of way. I just you know right. I think. When I think of us, we're not just we're not just physical uh, beings. Yeah, you, you understand. Um, spiritual, mental, um, all of that can get passed down through generation to generation. You know, sometimes you do what your you got ways like your oh girl you got ways like your grandma. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> right? You, you now I understand what, I mean? what you're. Right, and, I'm and I think in a, a lot of it is still that fear is inside of people. Right, you know what do you call exactly. it? Uh, post-traumatic, uh, uh, post-traumatic stress, stress order. Stress disorder. Yeah. We no, no, I agree it. with you wholeheartedly because mm-hmm. I've said before on the show that I believe that a lot of that fear has been passed down. You know, um, I believe deep down that you know quite a few of our ancestors were afraid of being put back in slavery, put back in those harsh, oppressive situations. And I think they, especially when it comes to Christianity, they told their children and their grandchildren and passed it down to others, you know, make sure you go to church because, again, the slaves had been promised their freedom if they had converted to Christianity, and then they were promised their freedom if they fought in the Revolutionary War. And in both both times, they were lied to. There were some that were freed, but it was a very minute number. So I believe a lot of that has been passed down because um, that fear, because, you know, people are scared of being put back into oppression. And Christianity, you know, this let's be fair about it, Christianity probably was the saving grace, for lack of better words there, for a lot of those Africans because I'm pretty sure many of them wanted to or were damn near ready to have a nervous breakdown because of the situations that they were in. You know, you have your women being, you know, raped. You had your children being sold off. You know, the separation of families, people dictating to you who you should and should not marry, and, you know, breeding you like you're a horse, you know, and I'm pretty sure, you know, the only ball, the only salve that many of them had was being able to go to church and believing that one day that the people that hurt them, the people that were oppressing them, would, you know, receive their punishment, if you will, was in the afterlife. You know, because, I mean, think about it, you know, when you hear some Christians talking to each other, I mean, we we may have experienced it ourselves, saying it to someone or having it said to us, you know, in which somebody was wronged or you wronged somebody, and they say, well, you know what, I'm not, going to, you know, argue with you about the situation, I'll just let God deal with it and, you know, basically tell you you're going to hell for whatever reason. And, you know, a lot of them have that particular mindset. But, yeah, I believe that, you know, I believe that um, um, basically I believe that, you know, quite a people, quite a few people are – 
you know, still holding on to that. And basically, you know, um, I wanted to read something here. It says, if there is no God, however, the believer's appeal to the divine would be nothing more than a manipulative ploy for creating themselves as superior, a rhetorical will to power that can only have disastrous consequences for those who do not control the culture's intellectual means of subject production. To make it impossible, therefore, for colonizers and believers to conceal their will to power over others. How about that? You know, um, but, you know, it's interesting because, again, you know, the God concept and, you know, what's happening, it is about having control and power over others. It is about having control and power over others, and it's just important that we understand that not only, you know, other people that, you know, that may be members of the church or members of the community, but also political power because, you know, it is tied in together. And going back to what I was talking about earlier about the faith-based initiatives and, you know, basically with these churches, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, a lot of these pastors are tied into homeland security, if you will. It's not a coincidence that a lot of these churches, in particular the pastor or the pastor's wife or the pastor's children, were realtors or brokers or mortgage brokers during the time where we had the you know, the housing boom, if you will. They made a lot of money. And the reason for that is, number one, they read the newspapers, but also, you know, they get briefs. And they understood what was happening with the deregulation of these different markets. And so they made money as they could. Now, some churches suffered. You know, you had some churches that had their buildings paid off and decided that God had told them to build a bigger edifice, if you will, And, you know, some of these churches, you know, they broke ground, but that building still hasn't been built because the pastor doesn't have the money anymore. The members aren't spending freely, if you will, anymore. And in many cases, they refinanced, you know, their old church that had been paid off, and they lost those churches as well. And so, you know, I just think it's important that you guys know and understand what's happening out here. And you know, understand how it's all tied together. And I remember, and I can't find articles, and I'm going to have to really sit down and do a search on this, but I remember something about President Obama saying that he was going to, you know, basically abolish the faith-based initiatives. And some kind of way that changed, and then we got a faith-based initiative czar. So I'm going to have to do some more reading on that, but you know, I feel as though the faith-based initiatives should be open to the secular community, to, you know, all 501c3s, so that they have equal opportunity to the funds, you know, for, you know, different programs out here. It's just, you know, that's fair. That's fair. If we're going to be out in the community and servicing the community, we should have equal access to the programs and to the money, especially since we're all, you know, taxpayers and, you know, productive citizens, if you will. So I just think it's important that, you know, we understand that. And, you know, it's also important that we understand the psychological projection that, you know, is happening out here. But with this here, I'm going to leave you with this. 
and, you know, we've talked about a few more things, but right here it says, atheism unmasks God and truth. There is no spiritual epistemology. There are no mystical values, and above all, there is no God. Such thinking is understandably forbidden in the world of theology and colonization. So it's, it's, it's important. Um, quote from James Foreman from his God is Dead, a question of power book. It says, as a Negro who has grown up in the United States, I believe that belief in God has hurt my people. Yeah. Most definitely. You know, and I want you guys to think about that because, again, you know, the way that I, you know, explain it to some Christians when I talk to them is – if this way, the way that they profess is the right way, and they've been doing these same things for, you know, centuries, if you will, mm-hmm. and it's not working, what is so wrong with trying something new, with doing something different? Because they'll lose that money. Of course. Of course. Uh-huh. You know, they'll lose the money and power. It's about right. money and power. Yeah. Exactly. They'll lose the money and power, but then also I feel that, you know, some of this is designed to keep certain communities, you know, oppressed and to keep them subservient and poor. Ooh. You know, and so, yeah, because, I mean, where is the money going? I the mean, money that, you know, is, go ahead. No, I was just saying, they don't want um, um, uh, uh if it's nobody poor, who's going to buy from them? You, you understand? Somebody has to. They don't. They don't want an, another competition. You understand? They got enough competition. They want people to always. They have to have people. In order for them to make money, you got to have buyers. Simple as that. Never. That kind of reminds me of an article that I. Um, Posted a couple of days ago talking about the, um, how black pathology sells. And, you know, we can talk about that a little bit, but, you know, I'm going more in depth on that on another show. But, you know, black pathology. So, um, you know, some of the examples that were given was, again, talking about the so called black on black crime. And, you know, it was talking about, you know, drug use among blacks. And, you know, they started bringing out statistics, whereas the average crack abuser is a white male in his 40s. But you would never know that, that two-thirds of the recipients of welfare are white. And, you know, just going on, you know, down the line, you know, another statistic is that, Whites commit six times the number of crimes of blacks, but you would never know that from the media, from the mass communication that's out there. And that's why it's important that, you know, again, we get out here, we dismantle a lot of this mythology. But, you know, you know, it's this, this is a hard road, and it's a lonely one, too, because, you know, with some of these people, no matter what you say, they're not going to believe what you're saying. They're not going to look it up, and you're going to be dismissed. 
and we, exactly. you know, we're not out here to change anybody's mind. Like I said, we're here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'm not here to change your mind. I'm not here to change your way of thinking, um, you know, none of that. That's not what I'm trying to do. And for those that have been listening to the show, especially long-time listeners, you know better than that. I give people choices, you know, and I'll, you know, give some information, you know, challenge you to research it, call me out if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you know, and you show me, I'll admit it. You know, I'll, I'll come back to shows the next week and say, oh, man, I was wrong here, there, and the other. So forgive me. This is the correct information. And I move on. But um, it goes back to one time that I had a caller call in and challenge me, and this was basically during the Chick-fil-A controversy. And they felt as though I should have told, you know, the listeners and the community that they should not spend, you know, their monies at, you know, that particular restaurant. And I disagree. And, you know, again, to me that's religiosity mindset dictating to people how they should and should not live what they should and should not spend their money on. I have enough respect for people, and in particular, you know, the people that listen to the show and listen to me. I have enough respect for you to believe that you're going to make the right decisions for yourself and your family. You know, and what's right for you may not be right for me. And what's right for me may not be right for you, but it's called respect and allowing people to have agency over themselves and their lives. And, you know, again, making decisions, you got to live with the consequences of those decisions, but they're yours to make. So, you know, again, you know, a lot of information out there. You know, again, you know, this is part one, and, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, but it's, you know, uh, a quote here from Gene Toomer's um, experimental story, Captain's right? And he makes an odd statement regarding, you know, God. He says, God, he doesn't exist, but nevertheless, he is ugly. Hence, what comes from him is ugly. And mm-hmm. so basically, you know, first thing that I would ask, if God doesn't exist, how can he be ugly? You know, that's the first logical thing that would come to my mind. And, you know, and the second one would be, um, you know, you know, how can he specifically justify calling God ugly? So, you know, basically what it's talking here is about something that, you know, was stated earlier that, you know, if God was just and fair and if he existed, you know, how can his followers say that they're blessed and highly favored but not talk about, or not do anything to help, you know, people that are hurting, people that are starving. You know, so, you know, again, it's kind of self-centered, if you will, narcissistic in his own way. You know, I'm blessed and God did right by me, but I don't care what happened to those other people. Mm -hmm. That doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. And then they wonder why some of the issues we have in our community is because it's teaching that type of mentality. Yeah. And I think that's sad. I really do. I think it's sad. And, you know, I think that it's important that, you know, we move on. And, uh, you know, we move on and we move the community in, you know, to a better path, 
to a better way. Um, you know, and again, not everybody is going to agree, and that's fine. You know, uh, and and that's all right, and we can move on. But um, as far as you know, allowing people to define another person's humanness, defining someone else as subhuman, someone else as inferior, someone else as an animal. No, we have to take control. We have to take that back. We have to take our humanity because no one has the right to do that. No one has the right to constitute someone else as human or as non-human. You know, we're all human, if you will. But, you know, in many cases they use the God concept to justify, you know, their superiority and justify what gives them the right or the God-given right, as they like to say, to determine and designate people and categorize them. And that's not the truth. You know, there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with religion. And, of course, they don't see it that way. But there is a certain amount of privilege that's there, and it needs to be challenged. It needs to be dismantled. You know, it needs to be critiqued. So, you know, again, important, and like I said, guys, you know, this is actually a really good book. We're going to talk a little bit more about it, you know, in the next couple of weeks, because I think it's important that you all, you know, hear about some of these concepts that are in here. But, you know, um, again, the name of this book is African American Atheist and Political Liberation, A Study of the Sociocultural Dynamics of Faith, and this is by Michael Lackey, L-A-C-K-E-Y. And, you know, and, you know, it, it breaks it down very well. And I believe you'll be pleased with this book, and you also want to pick up Moral Combat um, by Dr. Hutchison, as well as Godless Americana. Both books are excellent. And if you read all three of them together, like I said, they will give you life, you know, excellent book. But I feel that for those of us, you know, in communities of color that has embraced free thought, humanism, you know, atheism, what have you. I believe that, you know, we should actually be happy. We should be happy because we were able to, you know, if you will, you know, shed those scales from our eyes. And now that we have this knowledge, this is why I kind of come down a little hard on, you know, the communities of color in this community because, especially those of us that have been on the other side of the equation and have been religious or involved in religion or what have you, we should know better. We should know better. And when we come over here, you know, yeah, I understand it's a reprieve and, you know, you need time to decompress and relax and to find yourself because when you're over there, what happens is they keep you so tied up into the religion and keep so much coming at you that you don't get a chance to breathe. Sometimes you don't get a chance to sit down and think, you know, and when you come over here, you know, you finally have, you know, uh, released that albatross that was around your neck. And so, you know, you're trying to, you know, enjoy yourself, enjoy your life, live life right now and live it to the fullest. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. At all, and again, no one is obligated, and it's nobody's responsibility to help others. However, you know, for many of us, we read information from other people that helped us to see, you know, even better. Because many of us had these thoughts, 
you know, but by expressing those thoughts, you know, and, you know, especially if we vocalized it, you know, we were basically shunned and ostracized for challenging or critiquing the status quo or challenging and critiquing, you know, the God concept or the task or what have you. But to hear other people and to know that we're not alone and to know that our thoughts were legitimate, that they were logical, you know, in many cases, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it made perfect sense, and to find others, it's, it's like it's a breath of fresh air, you know, and it's just is is just refreshing. But you know, like believe it's more to it than that. But that's me, and not everybody believes that, and I understand. Um, I'm going to give you a quote from Alice Walker in the color purple, and it says, "Anyhow, I say." The God I've been praying and writing to is a man, and act just like all the other men I know, trifling, forgetful, and low down. Now, I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that, but what yeah. I'm saying is, you know, with that quote and where I'm going with that particular quote is basically, you know, looking at the behavior of many of the Christians that I knew, because I mean, even when I was in Christianity, some of the stuff that I saw was trifling, and I'm trying to forget some of the stuff that I learned and some of the stuff that I saw, and some of the crap that I had to deal with definitely was low down, you know, and dealing with people that, you know, had ill will, that weren't trying to help anyone but themselves, Um, and, you know, it's important that we understand that. But, yeah, I keep forgetting this is football season, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> that explains a few things here, but again, um, you know, guys, I'll tell you to go out and read this information. Um, here's a quote from Langston Hughes from his Trouble with Angels, and it says, God probably thought that everything was lovely in the world. So I thought that was interesting. And another quote from that same book is, nobody could see God. He was safely housed in the quiet home of a conservative Negro professor guarded by two detectives. (laughs) And so I thought that was interesting. If you all get a chance, check out his poem, Goodbye Christ. Um, It defines, you know, quite a bit of what many of us think and how we feel. So, again... You know, I think it's interesting. And, you know, again, I would tell you guys to go out here and do some research and look this information up yourself. Um, You know, many of us were duped. We were hoodwinked and bamboozled, if you will. And it happens. Don't feel bad about it. Learn from it and move on. And that's about the best that you can do. You know, even now, you know, people make mistakes. Um, You know, the way to learn how to do something, if you do something wrong, just go back and fix it, figure out what you did wrong, and move on. And that's life. But anyway, we'll continue this next week with part two. And on that note, go Bears. You all enjoy the football game. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care. Have a good weekend, everybody. Have a beautiful one. Bye-bye.